Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going, there's the things you didn't know Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast It's the Keith Walsh Podcast Give you energy like buck fast And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle It's the Keith Walsh Podcast yeah. Good evening, it is Thursday evening And this is the Keith Walsh Podcast You're very welcome along And I've got a brand new I've got a brand new mic set up uh, it's a brand new mic setup that I'm testing out. I'm always testing new things. It's probably not something you need to know about. I should probably just, you know, test, just do it and get on with it and stop telling people about it. But I'm currently standing to do the intro for this podcast. And I've got a sort of a, I've got a, what I, I can only describe as a contraption. It's a mic stand with, guess what, on top, a mic. And uh, then it's got a little pop shield and then my just my head is surrounded by what's called a mic screen, and I'm standing. And uh, this is the closest I'll get to heaven. No, the closest I'll get to having my own little studio or booth, recording booth. And uh, I think it's working quite well. I like it so far. And the standing up gives me a bit of uh, energy that I might need. Because I've been listening back to some of the episodes, and, you know, there's a bit of... I'm not the audio expert I'm not the greatest audio guy in the world so I'm trying to get that right so I keep tinkering with different things and uh, I think this is sounding pretty good it'll be weird for me to record normally like I just record in front of my screen and I have this mic screen between me and the computer but I can see my guests if I have guests on um so that might have to change. I won't be able to look at my guests. Oh. Well, maybe it's better. Maybe it's for the best. Anyway, it is Thursday evening. I hope you're fine. I had um, I was just downstairs for um, a Zoom parent-teacher meeting. So if you're not a parent, um, or you are a parent but your kids aren't of that age yet, I don't exclude anybody. It's an all-inclusive podcast. And you haven't been to a parent-teacher meeting, it is one of the most awkward things you can do in your life. You generally sit sometimes on, as my brother-in-law Ben pointed out, tiny chairs in a corridor outside a classroom, waiting, classroom, <laughs> outside a classroom, waiting for your turn. And you make small talk, not with strangers, not with other parents. You and your wife end up in, a, for some reason, some inexplicable reason, you end up making small talk with your wife because it's such a weird situation. It's so awkward. 
you're kind of waiting to go into, you know, all sorts of memories come back of school and waiting outside a classroom and all that kind of stuff. So you're both tense and you both just kind of sit there going, yeah, it was, um, the weather was good today, wasn't it? How was work? Good. How's, and then, you know, some friends you might have been talking on the phone earlier. Sinead, how's Sinead? Good. And you don't really get into anything. It's all surface stuff. And you're literally trying to pass the time between uh, the waiting and the going in and talking to the teacher. Well, we had a Zoom parent-teacher meeting. And uh, let me tell you, we were standing in the kitchen making small talk. <laughs> For some reason, we'd, we had brought the awkwardness with us. Because we were waiting to go to log on. So we are standing there in the kitchen making small talk. How Sinead? Good. How's work good? Um, it snowed over in the west today. Yeah, it did. Hope we get snow. Yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, white Christmas. Lovely. Um, And then we sat down and then we were in waiting rooms, virtual waiting rooms. And then we just didn't talk at all. Because the screen was in front of us. We were in a virtual waiting room. And we weren't really sure what the mic was on or they could hear us or whatever. So we just sat there. Oh, it was excruciating excruciating. At one point we were talking to a teacher and it took us, everybody involved, myself, my wife, the teacher to realise she was talking to the wrong parents about the wrong girl. Um, but let me tell you this. Those parents, the parents of that girl should be very proud. She seemed like an excellent student. So well done to that girl and to those parents. I think we were actually even talking to the wrong, like that teacher. I don't know how we ended up where we ended up. Anyway, it was an experience. You'd think like the Zoom parent-teacher meeting would be much handier. And maybe over time, if that's the way it was done, it would become easier and more relaxed and handier. But for the moment, we're still bringing the awkwardness. Sure are. We sure are. Anyway, that was my day. What else is going on? Um, I'm kind of recording this intro a little bit early. And I'm... Charlie's not here. He's downstairs because most people are still up. Um, and that's it. It is Thursday. Try not to move to bump off any anything, uh, anything, any part of my contraption, because that will make a noise. Look, if I stand on the mic, see, even if I tip the mic, that's what you get. Um, yeah, it's twenty five past nine, so I need to finish up this intro and get on with it. Get on with my life. Uh, today's guest is the very, very brilliant and much loved, and dare I say. I mean, National Treasure, is that a kind of a... He's certainly, he's certainly on, the, uh, on the way to becoming a National Treasure. He's from Cork. Can you guess what it is yet? Oh, it actually says it in the... Sorry. John Creedon. <laughs> John Creedon. Uh, what can I say about John? Also known as Credo. I did not know that. Uh, myself and John have something in common. We both presented Rising Time. I did it for just... I just did it as a fill-in. Um, he ha- we have both appeared on <laughs> well it's his show but I was a guest um, talking to him about Dan Donnelly when he came to the Curra when he did the um, Creedence Ancient East we talk about it in the, in the, in the chat um, from Cork broadcaster known for broadcasting music, sport, Irish language passions, television appearances <laughs> 
He's known for broadcasting, music, sport and Irish language passions, television appearances. And uh, he's four children. And as far as I know, he still lives in Cork City. His latest TV show, I think, if I'm not much mistaken, was Creed, was about the River Shannon, was it? I really should know this stuff. Um, but the thing about it is, the reason he decided he agreed to come on, I love John Creedon and I'm a big fan of his radio show, as is my wife, as is loads of people. He's kind of, he's got a big following. Um, it's a great show, so eclectic. Um, he has a new book out called That Place We Call Home, which is a book about Ireland and place names. And uh, it's a brilliant idea. And so I said, I'll try and see if he'll come on. And he just came back to me fairly quickly and said, you know what, I'd be delighted to come on. And he did come on and we had a chat and we talked about the book and we talked about philosophy and we talked about what he reads and what he believes and we talked about the tough times and we, I, he just, I could listen to him all day and he, uh, he's well able to speak but he's just one of these people that you don't mind listening to. He's very well read, he's been through it, he's been there, uh, got the t-shirt and live to tell the tale. And you can catch him every night on RTE Radio 1. 8 10, Monday to Thursday, if I'm not much mistaken. I should know these things, but you can find out. It's easy. Google uh, John Creedon Radio Show RT 1. You'll find out fairly sure. But his book is out now, and it's a definite stock and filler gift the thing you will buy for the man or the woman you don't know what to buy for. And it's called... Uh, that place we call home and um, he explains the reason behind it and some of the stuff he discovered along the way during the chat that's enough of an intro for me I think, enjoy the podcast it is episode number 34 of the Keith Watch podcast, I'll be back with a little chat after this take it away John not a bother, my pleasure, it's been a while the last time I saw you was on the Cora. Yeah, we were talking about Dan Donnelly, uh, Dan Donnelly's arm. And did you find it? But, but, oh, we did. We found it eventually. It was over the hills and far away. It was uh, pretty much in County Wicklow, actually, is where it was at that time. But it's a secret location because um, a lot of people have a lot of interest in it, given that Dan Donnelly had this remarkable reach and that uh, he was such a star in his own time. It's in a glass cabinet. It is a human arm. And I have to say, um, to hold it in my arms and my hands was was a very strange sensation because it was quite lightweight and it had become morphed, I suppose, over the years. So it was black, but it's it's there in its entirety. All the skin is on it. You can see the sinews in the, in the knuckles and everything else. Um, a bizarre story. We haven't even explained who Dan Donnelly was. It sounds like somebody that we buried in the Curra. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever find that lad afterwards, John? Um, no, just the arm. I found the arm in the club. <laughs> I would say, I would say, if you're interested in finding out about Dan Donnelly and you're listening to this, you should Google him. Very interesting story that we probably don't have time to get into now. But was it Creedence Ancient East was the name of the show? Yeah, that's what I was doing at the time, and that all came about in a funny kind of way. But um, I mean, I know you, you've had a book, the old 12 months there as well. And, and I read about it and I saw a few things that you posted and I was thinking, yeah, 
I recognize that, being down that road myself on a few occasions, it's the nature of it. And um, so in my own case, I suppose I stumbled into what I'm doing now and it was a godsend. Point being that I suppose as presenters, whatever about playing in a band where you've got the backup of the bass player and the drummer, if a row breaks out, at least you've got people around you. It is very much a kind of um, lone wolf. Sounds aggressive, but it is very much a kind of a single furrow we plow. There's no, you don't, you know, you don't ring someone up and say, well, how do I go about this? Or how does this game work? It's something that you kind of fumble around. And so for years, I did whatever came my way and um, I had um, six people to support. So I did everything from winning streak to 21st discos, to going back on the dole, to working for pennies, to doing this and switching and scratching. And I suppose with the years, and God, this sounds very preachy, but I, I do read a lot of, um, I suppose, philosophy and I even read scripture and stuff. Uh, I'm not practicing anything, but I do dip into a lot of Buddhist, Taoist, uh, stuff, um, Khalil Gibran, the, the prophet I'm reading again, and really all the great spiritual good guys, happy guys like the Dalai Lama, they're all pointing in the same direction. And one of the things that's common to all of them is if you look after the inner self, the outer self kind of starts to fall together. And I've seen that happen. It's not something I practice on a daily basis or anything like that. But I know uh, the more I look after my own kind of mental health and and I don't I don't that's the truth but when I do walk in the woods to the point where I'm just exhausted and I'm happy just to climb into bed don't feel the need to go for a pint with everybody else when when I find myself kind of my, my thinking subsiding when I'm out there in the woods and I begin by thinking you know should I bring my daughter in Australia I better text my other daughter in Scotland back um, and it starts like this my head my head my head my head my head and then I start to observe my head and if you can observe it, you're not it. In other words, if, if, if for observation to take place, there's got to be distance between the subject and the object. So if I can see the back of my hand, I'm not the back of my hand. I'm looking at the back of my hand. So once I start to notice how busy my head is, um, it continues to stay busy for a while, but then eventually it unravels bit by bit by bit. I stop naming the birds. Um, I just kind of admire them and then I even stop admiring them and eventually I just find that I'm part of the whole damn thing um you know me and the trees and the birds and the whole thing it's like my ego settles down my concerns settle down and I find mama nature is like healing balm for me so what happened to me in this case was um, I was tearing around as usual trying to pay the bills and um I was asked to go in and do a reality tv show and I don't watch a lot of TV. And I thought it was like Big Brother that I was sitting around talking shite all night with other people. And I thought, yeah, that's what I do anyway on the weekends. So, um, but no, I didn't really want to do it because, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but what my eldest daughter was actually fundraising at the time. And um, she had lost her first baby. And it was a very tough time. Uh, the baby was like Lucy. She, she made it for eight weeks. Um, she came under a full moon, left under a full moon. And uh, to watch your own daughter kind of sleeping in a chair um, up there in Crumlin and trying to just to keep her going. And um, so it was Kate actually was fundraising on, of her own accord for, for Crumlin and um, she asked me when I go in and I said, ah, Jesus, Kate, I'm not sure. <laughs> Reality show, me? Come on. I'm not a matinee idol. That's not my cup of tea. And she said, ah, would you think about it? No pressure, Dad, no pressure. And as soon as you hear no pressure, the pressure's on, right? So in I went. And against all the odds, I won that reality show. And it was then that uh, RT TV bosses said to me, 
listen, um, what would you like to do? Would, would, would you consider being a judge in the All-Ireland Talent Show? And I said, yeah, I'll do anything for money. Sure, yeah. And uh, so I went and did that. And then they came back to me and said, "What well, is there anything you, you would like to do? And I said, God, that's a question I've never been asked before as long as I'm in the trade. So I gave them a very general kind of answer, which was, yeah, I'd love to do something about people, about the human condition, about hedgerows, about holy God if there is one, about where we go when we die. And they went, Jesus, hold it, John, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. You need to come up with something more specific than that. So the next thing was, a couple of weeks later, out of the blue, I was doing an interview with the Irish Examiner about, about family holidays. And I explained to them that I'm one of 12. And as a result, we didn't have family holidays. Oh, except for one. When we toured around the country in a caravan back in 1969, my mom and dad rented this big, huge thing. It was more like a mobile home. Really, and they dragged it around behind a clapped out Ford Zephyr, I think it was, around the country because my mom wanted us to see Ireland. And so I was telling the, the, the journalist about this and both of us ended up laughing our heads off. And I was talking about how my mom and dad had no caravan experience. And the first day when we packed up, we went to Dublin Zoo on day one. We went to Malahide. About nine of us got sunburned. So we're all inside in bed, screaming and crying. He's touching me. Ah, you're too hot. Get away, man. This thing. So the following day when we, when we hitched up the, the caravan, there were so many of us that they had to leave five or six of us in the, in the caravan. And the other four or five in the, in the car with my mom and dad. So they took off, not realizing before you leave with the caravan, you've got to secure everything. So as soon as we, we, they pulled off, Jesus, there was knives and forks and drawers and cups flying all over the van. My sisters were screaming, John, tell mammy and daddy to stop. So I'm kneeling on the bench up at the front window of the caravan, banging on the glass. And I can see the heads of all my siblings in the backseat singing Valderie, Valdera. No one could hear me. Stop that blood. <laughs> but anyway, so when I was telling the journalist about this holiday. And when I came off the phone, I thought, Jesus, maybe that's the idea. So I rang Colin Crowley, who was the commissioning editor, and said, look, that thing, you, you asked me to come back to you with, with, with a real idea. How about if I recreate my only family holiday ever when I went around the country in the caravan? He said, bingo, you've got it. Let's go. So that was the first one. And that seemed to be a hit and then there was um, Credence Cities and then there was uh, Wild Atlantic Way happened and I guess we did that uh, very early insofar as it was the year that it was being introduced so the timing was perfect the drone had just been invented so a lot of these things Pete I mean they kind of just happened so really they took off um, meantime in radio I was for the want of a better term demoted from uh, from primetime to evening radio but you know something? It all just worked out perfectly because that gave me the space to do some stuff during the day that I wouldn't do if I was in there fighting a ratings war all the time, you know? So um, life's been good. I'm sorry for the big long-winded answer, but uh, I guess that's kind of how, how that came about. And, um, and then I was asked, any other ideas? And I said, well, yeah, I said, place names I love. Um, since I was a kid, uh, I was blessed insofar as my mom and dad. They were really nice people and life is a lottery. You don't get to pick your parents, and if you get a nasty one or two, it's not your fault. But in my own case, like my numbers came up on the lotto, and I got a very uh, good parents. Yeah, there were times when you know I never asked to be born, that kind of stuff, <laughs> and, and slamming the odd door here and there. Um, and there were times when they drive you around the twist, but they were kind to each other. They were very compassionate people. There was always room for one more. I mean, there were twelve kids. There was two aunts of mine who weren't doing well. 
and they were asked to come and live with us. Uh, my mother just kept taking on more and more and more. Um, and any time I came home from school with a pigeon with a broken wing, who was, he was knocked down, mammy. Go on so, but he can only stay until he's better and he's got to go away. So there was a menagerie of everything. Like, as I said, from pigeons with broken wings to dogs, cats, ants, you name it. <laughs> that it was it was a madhouse. And so they were very compassionate, very kind. And they both came from beautiful places. Um, my father came from Inchigila, which is in Midwest Cork. Let's call it that. It's actually in Muskery. So it's near Gugan Barra, which you probably know. Most people know. Yeah. Um it's a beautiful rolling landscape of hills, lakes, woodcocks, snipe, pheasants, fishing, that kind of thing. And my father grew up in a small little hotel there. And um, they, he grew up in the village there. But the place names around there, and he was a beautiful Irish speaker, are, are stunning places. Like, and I've, I mean, I've quoted these so many times now, but this was my intuit. Came Korabula. That to me sounded like it was in Hawaii. Um, then there was, I'd hear him talking to my Uncle John. They loved each other. They'd always hug and kiss each other and everything else. Two big men, both about 20 stone, big, huge. And, and, and John had 14 kids and my dad had 12. So there were two big, vivacious John Waynes, but they would hug each other to death and be saying things like, Jesus Christ, I, I met Mag Larton during the week. How is she? God, she was over on Cape Corabula. You should have heard her coming. And there's all this kind of stuff. Um, Tiernas Bidoiga, the land of the robins. And a lot of them I could translate myself. Caimania, which is the leap of the deer. And that was a that was a, like a ravine on the road between Inchigila and Guganpara, where, according to my father, the redcoats, uh, the bad old redcoats in the old days, they were chasing this beautiful stag across country. And when he came to this ravine, this big gulch, um, he backed up and he made one lip and he managed to clear it from that cliff all the way over to that cliff there, look. Jesus, as a kid, I'm going, wow. So I can visualize it in all these place names. My father, as I said, a beautiful Irish. He was, he was buried with the Fáinne, but he was never a preacher or anything like that. In fact, he used to say um, that Inchigila itself was a Brack Gaeltacht because some of the neighboring villages were pure Irish, full Irish. But Brack Gaeltacht literally means a speckled Gaeltacht. So some households were long Gaeltacht. Other houses were English speaking and it mattered not a bit. So my dad was always like as a little boy. They also owned the, the post office in, in the village. So he'd be sitting beside his mom there back in the early 1920s, listening to people coming in, speaking English and Irish and telling stories. So there was always that love of words around the house and uh, and the place names around there. And back in my mother's countryside, she came from out the Barra Peninsula. She was one of 10 girls. And again, I must inquire further about my roots, but it, it would appear that they were English settlers that came in during the plantation of Munster because my family name, my mother's family name was Blake and my granddad was William Blake, the same name as the English poet. But yet they were poor Catholic farmers. She was one of 10 girls. They lived on about 40 acres of rock. The aptly named Kruha, um, hard, craggy, but beautiful place with a view across Bantry Bay and of Hungry Hill. So, I've often said it, that that scenery is often lost on, on kids, but we got it. I mean, from the time I was six or seven, I could see the beauty of it. I could, I could hear the excitement of my mother's voice as we got further west. You know, and my, my, it's in the book, actually, I mentioned about those kind of conversations in the car, those snatches that you remember from being a, a child, falling asleep, and mom and dad up in front, and the glow from the, from the dashboard, and things like, um, will we stop in Inchigila? She said, no, Connie, we're very late. 
But Siobhan, we can go on down through Kusan. Oh, do go the Kusan Road. I'd love to see Timmy Johnny's place and all the names back around there. They were just so colourful. Like, I mean, one of my father's great friends was he, the Johnny Timmy Johnny was one man who owned a little shop. There was Jack Sean Rua. Jesus, I, I, I think I did meet him a few times, but it was just the name, Jack Sean Rua. So he was Jack, the son of John with the red hair. And like, this was just all, this was the way people spoke. And I just loved the poetry of it. And again, like most people, by the time I turned 11, again, as I say in the book, the idea of dying for Ireland, without my mother knowing it, um, had subsided. I got sick of getting beaten up by teachers and by the Christian brothers. So, so I kind of turned my back on all that 1966 fervor because that's when I started school in 1966. And it was the 50th anniversary of the Easter Rising. And they had us marching around the schoolyards shouting, oh, Roshed, how are you? Jesus, I just wanted to go to war. I wanted to fight for Ireland, to die for Ireland, but open man catching me. And, <laughs> and, then, and then as the, uh, as the years went by and after a good few clatterings and watching other schoolroom injustices, I just got sick of it. And I, by the time I was a teenager, I turned my back on that beautiful Gaelic vision of De Valera's Ireland and the GAA and the Irish language and conservatism and priests and brothers and nuns. And I have faced the opposite direction. I wanted to speak English and to kiss girls and to drink champagne and go to nightclubs like George Best and to hell with it. And that was the way I stayed for years until I suppose as my own kids started growing up and as my father got older and stuff, um, I got drawn back into the beauty of my ancestors and how gentle those people were. Whatever about church and state and all the rest of it, the folks, the people were gentle, soft. Anybody who calls a town land, Tierna Spidoiga, the land of the robins, has got to be gentle. And, and listen to the names. I, I went back then and started looking at this and studying it. I went back to UCC. When I say studying, no, um, studying my way, which is just kind of tearing into stuff. But um, uh, like I, I came across things like, um, when I started to realise, like the Irish word for a ladybird is Boeing Day, God's little cow. And then um, I have goldfinches in my back garden and they're absolutely stunning. And I looked up the Irish word. What's the Irish term for a goldfinch? And it's Lasser Quilla and Lasser is like a spark or a glint or a, like a, like, it's like a match. It's, it's that spark. So Lasser, Quilla of the woods. So it means spark of the woods or flash of light in the woods. And that's exactly what they are. They're small little scarlet and bronze colored birds with a flash of canary under the wings when they fly. And I'm thinking, these were soft people. These were beautiful people. These, these are my people. This is like my mom and my dad. This has nothing to do with what was kind of what I was beaten for not memorizing the night before. And so I just kind of thought just a little bit like Holy God and that whole Christian thing. Um, I, kind of, I kind of thought to myself, hang on a while. No one has exclusivity on Jesus of Nazareth. He was a cool dude. He may have been God. I don't know. Maybe we're all God. I don't know. But he was a gentleman who walked around speaking up for, for the little guys, but all the while saying, but don't hit the bad guys either. They're hurt. And, you know, so I can't land a punch on Jesus. He strikes me as being a really nice guy. And I was cut off from that, mm. that whole gentle hippie vibe that he gave off yeah. for years because the Catholic Church told me they owned it and I had to do it their way. It's the same with Gaelic football. For years, um, I, I remember being spoken down to in Crow Park 
boy, a fellow with a laminate one time, and I just thought, I'm not coming here anymore. I'm just going League of Ireland in the future. And then I realised afterwards, look, the, look at the poetry of, of, of a young man, say, rising up inside in, in, in a forest of hurleys and sticking up his hand and snatching a wet slitter, dropping, shortening the hurley, twirling, and somehow finding the angle to slap that wet slitter between the sticks. That is poetry. And nobody, no brand, no guy with a plastic laminate owns that. And that's how I kind of feel, I suppose, about my culture and about my place and about my belief system. It's all over the shop, really. But it's very fluid. Tomorrow I might believe something else, but I'm good. I'm I good. Think, <laughs> I think there's so much in what you're saying about, like, we really had an opportunity when we got our independence to make something beautiful and to, and to uh, like, there was definitely some people in the right place with, you know, organizing the GAA and getting the, you know, and having, you know, doing what the, what the GAA did. But something went wrong when we got our independence, whatever, who, if, whoever you blame, whether it was Dev, whether it was aligning ourselves with the Catholic Church, whatever we believed we needed to be, it, we got it all wrong. And it's nice to hear you talking about that and to write in such a beautiful book and to thinking about things like that and realizing that we were gentle people because it lets people off the hook and especially men men who think that they need to be quiet, they need to be the strong, silent type, they need, they need to, you know, that they, they, are, they are whatever job they have, you know, not the person they are, or their interests or their hobbies or whatever. And it's, I just think it's a difficult, it's a difficult place that we found ourselves in where we have to apologize for things like the laundries, for the, the terrible, terrible, terrible things we did by going down the wrong route. Once we finally got this independence that we craved and we just really messed it up. And I suppose the hope is that now there, there maybe we have a time for reflection and a time to really rethink it and to, to look at, you know, we have a young, a young female, young female TD, Holly Cairns down in Cork, telling people the truth and being honest Um. And that's what we need more of. We need to, and, and not to get too heavy with you, John, but like it's, it's, it's that it's people like you talking about the beauty of and place names. And that, that might seem like a simple thing, but talking about the beauty of place names, ergo, the people who named those places were beautiful. Ergo, they were nice people. They were gentle people. They looked after each other. They weren't yes. the people that we have become and we're trying to not be anymore. Do you know? Do, do you get yeah, and, and the, yeah, I do. I hear what you're saying. And the thing about it is, I feel like spaciousness is a beautiful thing. I remember, um, I think it might have been, I, I went down to one or two meditations at the Buddhist uh, retreat in um, in Alahis. Um, but I, I some, sometimes I'll sit in the church as well. I don't care what denomination it is, as long as it's quiet. And I can hear the traffic outside as though there's the world. Because as Eckhart Tolle quite rightly says, you have to make your way in the world. You have to charge your price. You have to try and turn a gig. You've got to try and stay warm in your old age. So you've got to make your way in the world. And you've got to go to the marketplace and try and scratch a living and pay for your kids. We can't all just float off in the cloud someplace. So you have to make your way in the world. But you should always try and keep one foot in the garden where possible. So I have found with the years that a little bit more spaciousness come into my life. Walking is certainly good and things like that. And when I mean spaciousness, I mean when someone, um, say, sends me a a nasty tweet or a text or a... a, um, Now I think I'm probably airy enough to wonder, why is this guy so upset? Was it um, something he heard at the dinner table growing up as a kid? So equally with, say, religious members of religious orders, even the guys who hit me, 
Yeah, I forgive them, all of them. Because do you know what? We were all conned. There's a country our size could not produce 25,000 religious holy men and holy women per generation over and over and over again. Let's be honest about this, folks. A lot of these people were sent to the seminary. So while they may have ended up running Magdalene laundries and running parishes and all these things, I firmly believe, I'm not saying everybody should agree with me, but I firmly believe they were all victims too. I really, in my heart of hearts, I have very little trouble with forgiveness. I was probably always fairly okay in that department, even people who messed me up. In fact, there was a guy, he sat any longer with us, not a million miles from your part of the world, uh, that I worked with years ago, and he more than let me down. He stepped inside me and pulled a stunt and uh, and nicked uh, a residency from me. And I kind of just let it go. She looked, maybe he's skinned as well. And Jesus, I don't know why he would do that, but I never let it become something that I was going to go to war with the guy over. And let it go. And then we met 10 years later in a different world. And then we met again. And then we became like that. And I became his, 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 I won't go there, but I became very close to him in, from a family point of view as well. And, uh, and he's sadly no longer with us. But now that I'm older, I fully understand what was going on with the guy at the time. I fully understand what was going on. And um, he was living in the shadow of a very demanding father who set standards for him and success and achievement. And you know, so, so the point I'm making is, there's an old Buddhist maxim as well. I'm not Buddhist. I'm not. I'm nothing. But um, he, uh, there's an old Buddhist one as well that says, for every finger that points, there's three pointing back at the pointer. So when someone says, "You always, you always," you kind of go, "You're right." What's he telling me about himself? <clears throat> because I know certainly for me, like when, when I have done that in the past, you know or when I lost the rag or kind of overreacted or got really hurt and upset over something, the issue really was with me. That's very easily said. That's a cliche. But first and foremost, I forgive myself. I forgive myself. If, if I kicked your taxi door, I don't think I ever did. But if I did, uh, if I, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. I was, that's who I was then. I was 17. I was in Egypt. I still love myself. It's okay. You got to forgive yourself too. But that whole idea of forgiveness, I think, is hugely important. And it's not something you can learn. Like, and I'm not saying this because, hey, I got this amazing gift. What I am saying is when the penny drops and you realize that the person couldn't be anything other than what they are, you realize hating this person or being angry with this person or wanting them to change is foolhardy. I came across a piece by Eckhart Tolle where he said, and I thought this was quite significant and for... Any guy that's going through a tough time in a relationship or anything else, um, or has a boss, he said, uh, he actually said it in, in the female, not that it matters, but he said, if you were born into her family at her time with her genetic makeup, her life experience, and her level of consciousness, you would be walking, talking, and behaving exactly as she does. Please be compassionate. And that's the point I would make. So just because some say some Northern Unionist politician comes on talking down his nose about the grey mist of the Irish Republic. You've got to understand that's where the guy is from. That's how we grew up. When, when, when he hears me talking like a muck savage from Cork, that's where I'm from. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. And so I, I, I would genuinely feel that like, so that's why I have little problem forgiving people. Oh, on the day it's Jesus I can't believe he's done this to me. My God. But you know something? It's, um, it's not, and, and forgiveness isn't something, this is only all 
this is all the prefix for all of this is I believe. I'm not preaching. I'm sorry, but um, I firmly believe that like forgiveness is not something you you convey on somebody or that you that you bestow on someone. Go on, so I forgive you. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is when you know, um, when you know, like for example, um, you know, as I was saying, say with my with my school teacher or some cross nun. No, what she did was terrible, and I reserved the right to maybe never even speak to the person again, or to, or or not to bring my kids to the same school because that nun was so cross to me, and um, and uh, I have no interest in ever meeting her again, or you know, and that's all cool. But behind that, um, you would have to say, no, you wouldn't have to say, but I would say, um, I wonder what her story was. Why was she so bloody cross? Maybe it's the way that she didn't really have this vocation they all speak about. Maybe it's the way that she was jealous of me coming to collect my kids when she would love to have a young husband herself instead of having to go back down to the community. Maybe she was going through a physiological change in her life that had her turning puce and full of rage. Who knows? And it's the same. Oops, that's me. Sorry. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same with, you know, uh, it's the same with, you know, I don't know, you know, people who you can get very annoyed at your bank manager. I have been rightly fed up with the way the banks behave. And then you've got to realize at a certain level, the guy behind the counter is just trying to survive in there. A bit like yourself. He's kind of trying to pay the bills. He's not feeling good about calling your loan either. So there's no point hating him or, you know, or, you know, so anyway, all I'm saying there is that it's, it's, it's when the penny drops that can I give you one more quick one on that actually yeah, of course, this yeah. is this is from the Taoist tradition this is your time it's a story it's your time okay so you're gonna to to do a lot of hacking back with this story but <laughs> this uh, is perfect yeah this, this guy uh this frog is trying to cross a stream but the stream is swollen and there's a fierce flood running running down there and the fox shows up and the fox is about to cross the stream and he says to the frog he says um hey you want to lift across the stream the frog said not a hope he said, you're a fox as you leave me. He said, no, I won't eat you. He said, you, I know you won't make it across, but I will. If you want to lift, hop up on my back and I'll bring you across. And the fox said, not a hope. You're a fox. You leave me. He said, I won't eat you, but go on, suit yourself, whatever. I'm leaving anyway. So the fox said, well, okay, so. And he got up on the fox's back and they're halfway across the stream. And the fox turns around and grabs him in his jaws. And the frog says, but you said you wouldn't eat me. And the frog says, I know, but I'm a fox. <laughs> so the, the, the moral of the story there is not that the, that, that the frog was in Egypt, but that some people, they will lie to you. They, some people will lose the rag. Some people. So, so the question I would ask is, right, that means so that we should kill all the foxes, right? Let's kill all the foxes. Or, you know, that'll solve our problem. It won't solve our problem. It's, it, it is the nature of life. It's what makes it go round and round. And just as war is breaking out someplace today, peace is breaking out someplace else. So as I'm getting older, I just feel more and more gratitude that um, this, despite life's challenges that um, I've got this far, I'm still alive. I have four daughters. I love them. They love me. We wind each other up. We're still all on talking terms. Um you know, um, I've got a gig to go to. I'm actually really, really lucky. And I'm not bragging. I'm just grateful, not smug, just genuinely grateful. That for now, again, as Eckhart Tolle says, every now and then life will leave you alone for a while. And I'm getting that kind of gap year at the moment. And I'm just really grateful because, you know, 
before you know it, the phone will ring and it'll be something that you don't want to hear. So yeah, mm. that's yeah. the thing that changed my outlook re- very recently. Was I, I, I listened to I don't I can't quote philosophers, but I listened to philosophy audiobooks and it was a guy mm-hmm. ex, a guy explaining time, and he was saying it's not it's not a clock. It's not, it's it's just a series of events. And if you, exactly, can imagine, yeah. if you just imagine these events popping up, like uh, almost like, uh, like if you can imagine a voice track and there's just, there's a, there's suddenly a bit of noise and that that's, that's, that's an event. There's, an, yeah. there's another event and you just go from event to event. And it sort of, it helps me just deal with whatever I need to deal with. Just seeing that I don't see the time anymore. Just see, well, there's just a series of events and then I'll go on to the next event and, and we'll try and right. keep the, the head in, the, in between, you know? Well, I can't believe I'm an event in your life. This, this is an event. This is it. This is the John Friedman yeah. event, you know. And then, and then later, I'm going to ring the government. I'm going to ring the government. There's meant to be no events at the moment. <laughs> no, no, but no, but I take your point. I take your point. And in fact, um, again, I think we might be talking about the same man because um, I, t- I had to read the book a couple of times, and then I read the simple version of it, and I think I finally got it. I don't practice it, but uh, Eckhart Tolle talks about the power of now, and the point he makes is that uh, the past is but a dream. You can conjure it up and you can think about it and you can, you know, it, 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 you can have it in your head. But when the past happened, it happened in the now. So you, you, you can't reach it now, right? All you can reach is now, now, now. I can't affect change. Um, you know, uh, I expect I will be on my deathbed sometime. I, ca- I can't do anything about that now. I don't know where it's going to be, how it's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully, it'll be one bullet to the back of the head as I shin down a drain pipe in my <laughs> late 90s by a jealous husband. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I can't. Um, so the point is, I've no, yeah, you know, and you know and I know, we, we live in a world, we live in a world of contracts and schedules and things changing and everything else. And of course, our head is drawn there all the time. My head is drawn there. My head is drawn to how this gig might work out and um, will I, you know, will I walk on stage with my fly open, Jesus, um, you know, so we have all these anxieties and everything else, but there's damn all you can do about it until the now. So I think the point Tolly is making is that the past is a concept. It doesn't actually exist. It's only a a, a dream that you can recall, but you can't go back and apologize to the guy. You can only apologize to him now, now. And, and similarly with the future, um, the, the wonderful Mark Twain, who wrote, you know, Huckleberry Finn and all those, he once said, um, in my lifetime, I've had many things that gave me cause to worry, most of which never actually happened. <laughs> yeah. Can you join that club? I'm in there anyway, straight away. I've yeah. spent years worrying about it. And if someone told me when I was kind of, you know, between gigs that, John, you're going to hit the big six old kid. You're going to have your own TV show, your own radio show. And, and I'm not saying this to kind of rub salt and, the tough year you've had because I've had them as well yeah. but 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 the point is I would have said what really you mean I might be a swan someday yeah I'd be grand I probably still wouldn't have believed it <laughs> so 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 the, the thing is I couldn't access now back then all I could do was the bit in front of me and try and memorize the three lines I was given for the bit part in the play or something and and just do the things in front of you very difficult because the mind will go off but I think the first great lesson every child should learn is that you're not your mind if you stop and just observe your mind how am i feeling what am i thinking and um, you once you are observing it as i was saying earlier on for observation to take place there has to be a subject and an object so who's looking at my mind that's who i really am that's closer to who i am 
You know what I mean? Because the mind, the mind's like, it, sometimes like the mind is like the, what do you call it? The ghost in the machine. It's like, it, it convinces us that it's us. It's only a tool. And let, let's face it, when I was 11, right? I was sent off to boarding school. I was to go off by train. And when I was 11, I was a virgin, funnily enough. Um, I didn't shave. Um, I had a mom and dad. Uh, I couldn't stand girls. And um, that was me. No. You know, like, so who's the guy that was 30 who loved girls, who loved the taste of beer, um, who didn't have a mom and dad, you know, who was now an orphan? And, like, what's the common denominator? Is the, is the kid dead now? So I'm not my body because that keeps changing. My hair, as you've noticed, keeps changing. Um, my fingernails keep growing. My cells replace themselves. So I'm not even living in the same body I was living in when I was 11. And my mind has certainly changed. So I could be my mind either because I used, used to can't stand girls. Um, uh, what you call it? Um, no, no interest in chasing girls. Um, didn't shave. And all those things changed. And then when I was 30, I didn't have gray hair. And now I do. So I've learned from this that one, I'm not my body. Two, I'm not my mind because they keep changing. So what's the common denominator? What is the thread that runs between me sitting here talking to you now and the little boy who held onto the railings before his first day in school. That's who I am, because all those other things are just manifestations of who I am. But, but who I am is a far deeper thing than that. And I expect I will never know, but I'm more focused on that than, than the outside stuff. And wasn't it, um, uh, Thomas, again, I'm mad for quoting all these great mystics, Thomas Aquinas, the Christian mystic, it was he said, not only is God the unknown, God is the unknowable. Hmm. So forget about it. Yeah, let it go. Um, just observe yourself. A little, too much analysis is a bad thing, but just to notice, I'm, I'm at it again. I'm talking too much again, but hey, that's the way I am. So tell Keith you're sorry and just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no apologies necessary. The first time I ever would have heard of you or, or, or a version of you was, uh, was Terence. Um, <clears throat> So that was like, I don't want to say, I don't want to age you here, but I was, I was young listening to, it was Jerry Ryan, wasn't it? Terence was on. Yeah. How did that come? Yeah, life is, it's not all your fault, Keith. Life has aged me anyway. <laughs> but, um, but, but quite beautifully, if I say so myself. Anyway. I, still, uh, and I, I agree. I still, I still say, <clears throat> stay in by the buses and mind your, what is it? Yeah, mind the buses, stay in by the, the wall. Yeah. Stay in by the walls. I still say that to this day. How, yeah. How so anyway, I've about? aged, I've aged, but I haven't matured. I'm still a kid. My, my own four daughters, like, they just, <laughs> they get such a laugh. Uh, they said to me recently that for my headstone, what they're going to put on it is, he finally legged it. Because I'm always in a hurry. I'm always racing around the place with, you know, and it's like I was when I was a kid. Hey, can I have a go at that? Can yeah. I can I play? Can I have a go on the train? But anyway, um, so Terence was um, it was I suppose uh, a comic character that I kind of created at the time that Jerry Ryan was um, was starting up with the Jerry Ryan show and Zoo Radio was something I'd encountered. I was I was dabbling in in pirate radio anyway, and also I'd seen it in action in, in New York in 1985. So when I started in RT in '87. I was kind of between gigs and I strolled over and I said, I've got this idea for uh, kind of a mammy's boy and uh, he's high camp and he lives with his, his lisp and he drives a moped, but he's really a very nice fella. And uh, he works at the hairdresser in car. And they said, yeah, sure. We put him on. 
So within about two or three weeks, this guy was a star. And I think in many ways, in many ways, I think what it was, and I didn't realize it at the time because I wasn't that thought out, which is probably often the best way. Um, the character was very Chaplin-esque and this was during the recession. So like, yeah, like fellas would be, like a fella kicks sand to me now, like down on the beach, down in Yah, like, but you're right, take no notice, the poor fella, like he's probably upset over something. So he was like, he was compassion and forgiveness personified. And um, he had a heart of gold and he loved his man. He loves everybody actually. And he used to go out doing the meals and wheels with his man and um, to diocesan pilgrimage to Las Palmas and go to all the, all the holy grottoes out there like Buckfast and um, places like uh, <laughs> the little... The little, the little grotto of San Miguel, which was all drink with her, like. But anyway, um, but Jerry was unbelievable because Jerry would throw me a curveball. Like, uh, whenever I'd offer him a couple of gags and say, I got a few kind of scenarios. Yeah, 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 sure, sure, Creedon, sure, sure. And he'd just throw him in the bin. And I'd say, Jerry, come on, will you? But the guy actually was genius. And I think what would happen there is we'd both go into a kind of a stupor. And it was pure stream of consciousness stuff. So I'd say to Jerry, hi, Jerry, how are things above in Dublin? And he'd say, I was in the same studio as him. I was sitting like about four inches away from him. This is before social distancing. And he was there. Hello, Cork. Come in, Cork. Hello. Hello, Jerry. Can you hear me? Are we on the air off here? We're kind of half on, half off. How are you? Um, I'm grand. Everything's great. How are you? What about your poor mother? He poor mother? Yeah, remember what you were telling me earlier about the horrific accident last night? Um, oh, the horrific accident. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, she fell in the fire. God love her. She was poking the fire and the poor creator fell in. And, you know, they made the support stockings. Yeah, and melted onto her varicose veins. And, jeez, it was off. I'm making this up on the spur of the moment to try and, you know, or um, <laughs> it was all that kind of carry on. And then Terence got electrocuted. And um, so with the whole nation was sending in cards, it was huge. I had two number one hit singles. I have no idea. I think at the time people wanted to hear this gentle, innocent, bumbling kind of guy. And um, so I electrocuted myself anyway. And this was based on real life because I did when I was four. I stuck a pencil into a socket and blew me brains out. <laughs> and and uh, so anyway, so I, I ended up anyway in hospital in, um, under Dr. Watt, the burn specialist. And um, but there was loads of cards and flowers and everything else coming. A lot of people believed in it. I couldn't. I still meet people who told me I thought he was real for the first year and a half. I thought that guy was actually real. Uh, and uh, so anyway, I was getting all these cards and flowers and everything else that were being sent to the bonds and Cork. They were all saying, "Who are these for?" And uh, so I'm doing a phone call from my own house in Goldstown, pretending I'm lying on a bed in the bonds and Cork. And Jerry's saying, "Terence, I'm glad we got through to you. Are you okay?" I'm very weak at the moment, Jerry, but I'm all right. And come here. Thanks for all the kind wishes. But are they looking after you, Terence? Yeah, great. Dr. Watt is looking after me now. And they have me all wired up here now to um, tractor batteries and headlamps and fairy lights and everything. They're draining off the excess electricity out of my body. And when the last fairy light blinks and goes out, I'll be cured then. And then they just bring me upstairs in to get my hair straightened. And uh, <laughs> there's, all kind of, there's all this kind of nonsense. like. And um, but people used to believe it. it was, Jesus. Anyway, what were we like? It was, it was great big, fun. It was such a big part of that era. Yeah. That, you know, obviously the Jerry Ryan yeah, show. Yeah, it was, was really. Was, it was the start of Jerry Ryan's show really taken off, wasn't it? I mean, you were there right at the start. Well, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um, Sometimes that happens. I think when we come out of this pandemic as well, I'd love to think 
that there's going to be, like, there's a bulge of energy brewing at the moment. Uh, and I remember during that recession in the 80s, I sound like an old man now, but I do, because I was a young dad and I had, you know, three or four kids and no money. I remember, I said this recently to somebody somewhere, I remember going around with my buddy pulling timber out of skips to, to burn in the fire to keep the house warm for the kids. And, and it was tough. And most of my mates were gone to London and were living in squats and just getting the hell out of here. Uh, this is all prior to Jackie's army. That's when things started to turn. And then all of a sudden, like even my arrival in Dublin was kind of coincided with that. I got into Dublin in 87 and I was renting. I was sleeping on floors when I arrived first. And then when I brought the family up, we were renting. But... Um, but then all of a sudden things took off from 88, 89, 90. Jesus, everything was flying all of a sudden. And I would say in the 13 years I was in Dublin, I saw more victory parades in Dublin, I would say in that decade between 88 and 98, than were ever held in Dublin before and will ever be held again. It was non-stop, non-stop. Sonia O'Sullivan, um, Jackie's Army, uh, U2, the Eurovision. After Eurovision, we were trying to get rid of it. Um, so there was that... So I think there was a huge bulge of creativity and maybe anger, boomtown rats, anger, everything else was just brewing, 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 brewing. And then came the release. And I felt when I look back on it now, I realized, yeah, everybody I knew at the time didn't have a gig or hadn't a job, but they were in a band or they were learning how to play the guitar from another friend or they were living in a, in a, in a bed sit, learning how to whittle wood and fancy themselves as an artist. And then when the opportunity came, when the tide came in, there were all these people dying to sing, dying to tell their story, dying to write. And Jesus, we had writer after writer. It just, so, so I, I feel the same way that because of this contraction, um, fellas who would, and women who would normally be doing the usual Friday, Saturday night thing, they've been kind of confined to barracks. They've been bored to hell. Um, life has been very tough for young couples. I'm very aware of this. I mean, there must be so many young couples around the country where he and she have both lost their gigs. And they've got a mortgage or they're, they're trying, to, trying to look after two kids in a one bedroom flat. Life is tough out there at the moment. I, I have it easy this time. This is my gap year, as I was saying. But but Jesus, um, young people, I think in particular, are having an awful. Imagine not being able to kiss your boyfriend or your girlfriend for like, you know, weeks on end. Um, when I when I see students at the bus station in Cork on Friday nights, those big long kisses as she gets on the bus home from college and he's left behind in Cork or he's going the other way. He's going to Cashel and she's going to Galway or whatever. My heart breaks for them. I can hear the Glen Row music in my head. That, that kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah. sadness of Sundays, you know? Sunday and so it's been like that for a year and people have lost grannies and granddads and it's been a really tough, constricting kind of year. And my feeling is that when the release comes, if we can all just stay safe for now, the cavalry are coming. They've been sighted on the, on the horizon. If we can just stay hiding for now, Keep it simple. Keep the ball on the ground. Hopefully, we'll be looking back at 2020 as the pandemic year, not looking back at the pandemic years. I'd love to think we're going to come out of this okay, those of us who make it. And I think, one, one we're going to have a bit of gratitude, which we badly needed. We're going to be grateful for, for our country and for our uncles and our mams and our nans and our dads and for that cranky bollocks down the pub that I haven't seen for a year. Um, I'm, I'm starting to forgive him now as well. And, uh, you know, so I think we'll come out of this growing up. Mm. I think we'll have grown up a bit, you know. I, I'd like to think. I'd like to think. It's definitely given us pause for thought and it's time for reflection, I suppose, which definitely can always help. The, my wife doesn't really listen to my podcast, but you'll have experienced, you know, that kind of thing where, you know, the, the people that are closest to you are, are your... Are your 
are your smallest fans. But uh, so when I told her I was when I told her you were you would agree to do the podcast, she, she said, "Oh, I listened to that." So, oh. so so thank you very much for that. But you you have a real you have a real like the, like you talked about losing your slot on prime time, but your radio show yeah. has become a real touch point for people. Like it's it's huge. Right, uh, come here before before I forget it. Would you mind telling your wife that I love her? <laughs> She'd be very happy with that. John loves loves the no, radio show, loves the mix, just, loves the eclectic mix, loves the fact that it could yeah. be the clash followed by some lad from mm. Mexico, uh, followed by yeah. the boss yeah. or on a bit of track. Yeah, you you a, a you've cracked of, my code, Keith. You've got the formula there, man. <laughs> some lad from Mexico directly after the clash. It's the only way to go. Um, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm very fortunate in so far as I've been kind of left alone. Every now and then, you know, and I know, formats change, ideas change. Someone on top says, I want to steer everybody to the left or everybody to the right or whatever. For the most part, I've been left to my own devices there and it's worked. The audience has grown. And, but I'm not desperately trying to win audience. I don't do competitions. I don't do giveaways. I don't do interviews. Um, it's a kind of me talking Ramesh as I am now. I can just go on too long at times. But um, so it's it's just a very simple, old-fashioned disc and patter program, as they used to call them when I came into RT first. Um, and I suppose in terms of the music, um, I remember my brother saying to me one day, cool is uncool. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you're dead right. I don't care who produced what album. I don't know if there's U2's third or fifth album. And I don't really care. Um, and I'm not kind of anarchy about it. Interestingly, it's mostly men who seem to be. All the kind of texts and tweets I get about, oh, that's great, John, but you should listen to his third album, the one, the lot. And I, I rarely get that from women. Now, I don't know what that's about because um, I, I listen to music with my solar plexus. It's not with my brain. I'm not analyzing whether this is good or bad or whatever. And if you take something as simple as, Take a beautiful tune, take something like the Deer Hunter, Cavatina, or something like that. Now, that's fairly common, run of the mill, um, beautiful tune. Everyone recognizes it from lifts and from restaurants and from the movie and from everything else. If you play that to a small baby, the chances are they'll drift off listening to it. And equally, if an enraged businessman in the Tokyo traffic hears that come on the radio, on the equivalent of his Lyric FM or whatever it might be, um, the chances are he'll chill, he'll drop down a gear or two as well. So that's kind of where I'm listening to, to, to music. I can absolutely, like, I love ska. I love that backbeat. I love that mad. It, it's nostalgia for me as well, because I'm from the 80s. So the beat, the specials, uh, all the two-tone stuff, a lot of the punk stuff, um, it's full of rage. And God knows we need punk now. We do need punk. Um, young people need to scream and holler because life is... Life is the pits for a lot of people at the moment. So the great thing about punk was you were able to you roar your bloody head off and hop off your mates and it was all one big mosh. It was just mad. So there's a place there for that. Equally, there's a place there for Stravinsky and there's a place there for the huge uh, symphonies of, you know, Beethoven and so on. Like, it, it, I don't kind of feel the need to go down a cool track or a nostalgia track. Uh, occasionally, I'll play stuff that's pure naff simply because it's so bloody naff. Or it, it, it's it, it's a, it's a you know a puppy love song from the from the fifties, long before my time. But you'd have to say, listen to Buddy Holly on this. Like Jesus, listen to the pizzicato strings where the whole a whole orchestra 
here's a rock and roller. And he's got a huge string section behind him and they're all going, pink, pink, pink. You know, and people go, Jesus, yeah, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, or whatever. So it's like, um, there, there's just a whole world of great music out there. And I love stuff that's authentic and not unlike yourself, I suppose, that the, 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 the occupational hazard is the amount of people who want to get stuff played. And I make a conscious effort to avoid and not to engage with PR companies or record companies and nothing to do with them. That's their agenda. Good luck to them. I'm only, my, my only responsibility is to my audience. You know, it's like, it really is. It's, I'm down my man shed and I want to play stuff that makes people feel happy, feel better, that maybe asks a question, you know, and I don't need, you know, I'll get them. I'll get politically correct. Like I played um, oh, an old blues number about cocaine during the week. And uh, I had three really angry people onto me about promoting it. <laughs> I don't do coke. I don't promote coke. I don't think it's a good idea. But this guy is singing about cocaine all around his brain and about the, the issues he's had with it. Get off me case, but leave me alone. Jesus, give me a break. Um, so, um, you know, m- maybe in this fallow period that we've had in 2020, there'll be enough space there to say, look, everybody's doing their best. Can we all just back up a small bit here? Can we all just agree that it's okay not to be on all the time? Can, you know, um, can we all agree it's okay to cancel? Can we all agree? Not that I ever cancel. I never do. That's the problem with me. Um, can we all agree that, um, look, I don't need a present for Christmas. Do you really need a present for Christmas? Good. I'm, I'm good. I'm good with that too, you know? Um, you know, just, just to back up a small bit. Back mm. up a small bit. There's this, and, and Christmas is a huge thing. It's this mad headlong. Do you know what I have in my house for Christmas? Call me Scrooge, if you will. I don't have any... Well, see, all my girls have grown up anyway, right? So... Um, but I, I just put up one thing. It's the crib, Christmas crib. I, I love it. I love the crib. And I'll tell you why I do. Because, first of all, the story. Like this, I believe that all real art should be timeless and universal. It should make sense in 800 years' time. And it should make sense in China. Like that tune I was telling you about where the businessman in the Tokyo traffic is impacted by it in the same way as a baby trying to fall asleep until there is impacted by it. Um, so what I love about the crib is the story, it's about a refugee family in the Middle East. Uh, it's about the threat uh, of Herod and, and what was going on at the time. And it's and, and in that tableau, I think tableau is probably the right term for it, in that setting there, you have all the classes, even the three wise men, even the three kings with all the gold, they're actually sound as well. They're actually sound as well. They've arrived as well, and they're kind of bringing gifts and they're staying quiet. No one wants to wake the baby. The cattle have a place. The donkey has a place. Um, the young mom. Um, and I just think that's a story, not just for our time. That is a universal story. That's going on. That will go on forever. There'll always be people running, whether it's from the famine in Ireland or the famine in Africa. There'll always be people looking for help. And that little tableau for me is just uh, says it all. And that's why, but, but my, mine is a kind of a free fall crib insofar as when the grandkids come up, they can, so there's a donkey in there. There's a giraffe in there. There's a fire truck. There's a fire truck. And there's a couple of little Volkswagen camper vans uh, all parked up outside the crib. <laughs> and uh, as it should be, and they can move things around and they can put Joseph into the, into the manger and put the baby in, in the grass. It's, it's all good. But it's a great one. I'm a doubt. It's 
it's not it's not a big huge fo one but it's um i did spend 150 quid in it last oh, year nice. so it's got a little it's a little water feature oh, nice. and it's got a little, yeah and a little and it's got an upstairs there's an upstairs <laughs> with a ladder oh man a i love it i'm gonna put I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna put all my toy soldiers in there on on the roof looking out looking out for herod in the bag <laughs> Uh, John, thanks very much for your time and for I mean I could I could listen to you talking for, for the whole day and I'll get to listen to you talking this evening on the radio and thanks a million. And, and you know something, Keith, before you go, I mean I know this is kind of plugging the book, but one of the things that struck me about like my own mental health is a love of place has been central to it. So it's not just my own place. Of course, we all love to get in and hear the door click close behind us and whew, I can breathe out. They're out there now. This is this is safe. This is home. I would have felt the same about coming back to Cork when I was a newbie above in Dublin, and I was I was the culture in the radio centre and trying to survive and with four small kids and the whole thing was tough going. So when I would cross the county bounds at Kilbeheny and there was a sign saying "Welcome to County Cork," there was a rebel yell emanated from me every time. Not because I think Cork is better than anywhere else. I don't. If, if, if you're from Sligo, I can fully appreciate why you love seeing Ben Bulbin when you've been away in London for a year. So, but place is hugely important, whether it's standing on the hill when the dubs run out and you're there and you're surrounded by all the other dubs and all of that. It's just brilliant. It's you're with your tribe. So there's a sense of well-being. We do need community. We do need to feel safe. I remember when I moved back to Cork, I was at a game in Turner's Cross and there was a saucy tackle went in. Uh, from one of the car players and I didn't realise I was spotted but there was a bunch of officials from a Dublin club in front of me and one of them turned around and berated me how well you didn't put that in your feckin' documentary about yeah 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 well Jesus the whole crowd the whole crowd stood up and said shut up you shut up you let him alone shut up and all of a sudden I felt Jesus I'm at home I'm with my tribe there was a sense of security in it so all I would say is in the book it's about place and place names but the more you come to understand Ireland and the people that walked the stage before us, I think the more you snuggle down into being Irish and being okay with it and all the other bits that are Irish, like the, 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 the Polish children who are going to Gaelskolina, the English people who don't speak a word of Irish, but who've lived here in the big houses and that was their birth. That's where they came from. They're all part of it. And they're all, there are many strands to the weave that is the Irish flag. And we all have a place here. There's the blood of Vikings and Normans and Brits running through all of us. And that, that's one of the things that's kind of runs through the book as I talk about the future and as we go forward naming places. They don't have to be Gaelic names. I, I, like even places like Bellevue House or Bellevue Heights and um, Bel Air Heights and what else have I seen? All those kind of flash names that came in during the whole Celtic Tiger years. Leaving there, that's how we felt at the time. We were full of our own importance. We were all Dallas and Chandeliers. That's who we were. Leave them there. That's okay. That's cool. The Victoria, I'm surrounded here where I live by Victoria Road, by um, Wellington Road, um, Windsor Cottages, because I'm near the barracks where the, where, the, where the British were. So people want them names torn down and Irish patriots put up. Look, it's part of our story. Maybe it was a dark chapter for those of us of a nationalistic persuasion. But look, it's part of what happened. It's a sad chapter, but it's in the book. Leave it there. And equally, as we go forward naming places, I would love to think that we could have um, a bungalow outside Newbridge, for example, where a Polish couple are bringing up three or four small children who are going to the Gael Skull and call the house on Follonine, little, little Poland. Why not? that we can't have um, a housing estate with a park called Manila Park. 
to, to acknowledge the Filipino nurses and doctors who gave so much to Ireland during the pandemic of 2020. We're all in this together. So the place names tell us the story that our ancestors were trying to tell us. They, 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 you know, it's, it's like a message under a stone for us. And when you lift up the place names and you look inside, you're gonna say, wow, these people were pastoral. They love their animals or, or you know, like they, they all tell a story. And um, so I think as we go forward, and that's, that's part of the theme of the book really as I get to the end of it, is saying, you know, we're only walking on the stage now. Give it 120 years and not one of us will be here, right? Well, maybe me being chased down a drain pipe by a <laughs> <husband>. <laughs> uh, But anyway, so um, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm ranting and raving. No, and no, 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 that's perfect. Thanks for the time. Of all of the series of events I've been involved in in my life, this is one of the nicest uh, events. Uh, so I appreciate your time and thank you very much, John. And uh, I, I know you've work to do and uh, so I'll let you go. Thank you. No, thank you, Keith. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I'll just... Ah, uh, John. John Creedon. I'm telling you, he's um, a national treasure. He'll hate me saying that, I'm sure. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah, as I said, I could just listen to him all day. Luckily, we get to listen to him every night on the radio, and we can buy his book, That Place We Call Home, which is out now. And uh, it's about place names and how they got their names and the meanings behind them and a lot more besides. And he's very philosophical and he's really put a lot of thought into things in life. And as I said before, um, he's been there, seen us, bought the T-shirt. And it just it was nice because after that, we kind of continued to chat off air. He is... He's a good man. He's a good soul. You know, he's asking me how he was. And obviously he's working in RT and I've kind of had a mad year or more with and without RT. And uh, he was very compassionate and very, you know, really wants to know how he's getting on and had some great advice for me. And, um, you know, I kind of feel like a lot of what he was saying on the podcast anyway was not directed at me because... He was talking about himself, but and maybe it's just me, but I was, I was listening. My ears were pricked, let's just say that. And uh, I took a lot from that conversation, as I do from all the conversations. Uh, thank you very much, John Creedon. Do buy his book and uh, Up Cork by. Um, as I say, I, I get a lot of great people on here, great conversations. If you enjoyed that one, there's plenty more. There's a back catalogue, a plethora of conversations for you to enjoy. I don't even want to get into the people. Look at all the episodes. Pick a few that you like and have a listen to them. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, my email address is keithwalshpod at gmail.com. So you can email me your thoughts, your compliments, please, especially. And uh, yeah, anything you want. Any questions? Want to just bounce something off me? Funny story. Send it in. We'll read it out. Um... Every Monday I talk to uh, my friend Mike. So uh, you never know, you might get your email read out on a podcast. That's the new getting a shout out on air, isn't it? Um, so I'd love to hear from you. Do use the email, do get in touch. There is a contributors uh, link in the description of this podcast. Uh, I don't think it's just with Acast. Maybe it's just on the Acast, Acast page. Um, I haven't fully looked into it, but uh, if you feel like um, giving us the price of a cup of coffee or a bit more uh, towards the podcast, 
that would be very gratefully received. Thank you. And uh, that will allow me to buy more stand-up mics with weird mic screens around my head. Um, if you please, that would be lovely. I must get a website. I have a website. I must build my website. Jesus. There's not enough time in the day. There's enough days in the time. There's enough... Okay, that's it. That's my cue. It means I'm getting tired. Um, yeah, do, if you enjoy the podcast, do subscribe, please. Do rate and review the podcast. Five stars, I think, is the only uh, rating given at the moment. The other ones are broken. And uh, tell your friends about it, please. We'd like to get it up the charts and challenging the big guys. The big lads, whoever the big guys are. I just imagine them. Um, thanks to, uh, I always forget to thank um, Mike, other Mike. Uh, I always forget to thank Mike. <laughs> well, I think I thank him on the... Thank you very much to, I keep forgetting to thank him, John Connolly, who is a podcast expert and helped me set this whole thing up and continues to be involved and offer me advice and and I keep uh, bouncing things off him. So he's a great support of the podcast. So thank you very much, John. Um, I, I, I mean to thank him every every episode. Thanks, John Connolly. Um, he's a good electrician as well, if you're looking for that's it. Gotta go. Good night. Enjoy your Thursday evening. Or if you're listening to this on a Monday, lunchtime, enjoy your lunchtime. Or if you're just about to go to bed and it's Tuesday, enjoy your sleep. And do keep listening, keep enjoying, and keep a country or something. Goodbye. I can never just finish. I can never just say goodbye. That's it. I'm done. Walking away now. It's too late. It's over. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 